Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson, and uh, guest co-hosts <laughs> that I will be introducing, uh, John Kleisik and Jessica. Um, and we are online at what-s-left.webnote.com. Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode. Um, thank you. Uh, well, as I said, um, there are other guests, uh, co uh, guest co-hosts here with us today because Kenya is off for this week, and uh, and we thought that we would do this episode with our, our uh, most frequently uh, uh, guests from the show, and we will be discussing a topic that was brought up to us because it is a topic that we have discussed about in other episodes, but not um, in depth and something that keeps coming up as we are organizing. And especially, I, I don't know, I would say I brought it up a few times, but I'm just never really brought it up like this. And it was perfect for Jessica to bring up as a way for us to explore and use as a topic of discussion about left and right unity or divisions. And so I think I'll leave it up to you now, Jessica, if you can then introduce what your thoughts on were about this topic. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Eduardo. So, I mean, this was in some sense kind of spurred on by your sign specifically that oh. you talked about when you guys did the the rally in San Francisco, right? And your sign said left and right, time to time to unite. Is that right? Did I get it right? <laughs> and I know, I mean, this is something that I know you've spoken about on a whole bunch of episodes, this idea of kind of a coalition, particularly around you know, fighting the Great Reset, Fourth Industrial Revolution, insert whatever um, name you want, right? That it's going to be necessary. And that I know I've heard Eduardo and Andy and, and Kenny, I know, I've heard, and I've said as well, like, this is something we're, we're willing to do. Um, so I thought maybe it would be worthwhile to kind of dig in a little bit more explicitly as to like, okay, that, I mean, it sounds great, like, you know, let's everybody unite. Um, but to talk about kind of like, what, what does it actually look like on the ground? What could it look like? Um, what are the experiences that we've had? I know you talked a little bit on a previous episode about that rally and some of the, you know, like the nationalist rhetoric there, little examples like that. Um, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to start talking about it more explicitly. And then Andy um, brought on Jake, super last minute. Thanks for, thanks for joining. I don't know if you're like our token right-leaning person here. Cause I was, you know, I was kind of thinking about how to frame this. Um, and I was sending Andy and Eduardo some, some questions and thoughts for the episode. And as I was going through them, you know, I was thinking, well, we should really have somebody here who at least sort of semi identifies as like right leaning. And, and I think we can talk more about sort of like, what do we even mean when we say like the left or the right? Cause in some sense, those terms have sort of fallen apart the last year and a half or longer. Even I feel like every time I say to someone, Oh, I'm a leftist or I'm a left leaning anarchist or whatever. Like anytime I stick any label on myself uh, in a political context, I feel like I have to give you know, a hundred caveats and disclaimers, right. As to what I actually mean. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what I was thinking. I don't know. Maybe we could just start off. I think even like before we get to like, well, what is a rally or like a broad scale coalition look like? 
maybe a good place to start would just be kind of like, how do you approach individual one-on-one conversations with people who you feel are sort of on the other side of the aisle to some extent? Well, what do you think about, sorry, I'm inserting myself. What do you no, think about on, yeah. starting with, um, cause I've had a longer history of reservations of these sorts of things and it okay. might be worth starting about where we came from and including you, Jake, you know, like about thinking about these sorts of things. You might not have ever had, had a hang up, but if it's something that needs to be done, I definitely had a hang up, you know? So maybe we could start with like, where was I maybe almost in my mind, 10 years ago, then three years ago, and then a little yeah. bit about what, my, yeah. what those opening reservations might have been. Can we start, maybe start there? Yeah, I think that makes sense to go kind of, kind of like chronologically, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so when I, when I, like, as a socialist and as a revolutionary, we always talked about building the left. And we talked about building the left at the exclusion of the right. We talked about building this thing that was anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist. Um, yes, it might have been reformist, but we, we were going to be revolutionaries within it to try to like revolutionize it. Um, pro-public education, pro-union, um, not, not for the police, against the police, against the criminal justice system. And, and this, I think the assumption also was that our audience for revolutionary politics was much more either liberals or people in the Democratic Party, and that if people in the right came into our movements, what, and there were people against the war who were, who were on the right, we often saw them as trying to like scuttle the, the movement and make sure that it doesn't get radicalized. And that's what we would kind of accuse. That was the accusation we threw. So we definitely, I mean, I was, came up very much like the right should not be allowed into anti-war movement spaces because they're going to try to come in and, 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 and wreck it with, with like pro-capitalist, pro-state politics. Um, and that was by and large, you know, uh, and the notion that people on the right were much more, much more tended much more to be racist or sexist, homophobic, transphobic than people on the in the democratic party per se, or liberal wing. And the notion was those people are politically closer to us. So we were just going to build that and get that bigger and bigger. And then in my mind, I think we might've been thinking eventually we'll draw some of those elements of the right into this thing of the left. And then the rest of them will just be the fascists, you know, like it'll be like, that's how it would go, you know? And, we didn't really talk it through, but I think that was roughly the notion. Uh, and that's kind of, that was my starting point. That would have been me eight, 10 years ago, eight, eight years ago. Um, well, maybe I'll, I'll just say that one, I've always been more comfortable around people who are conservative than liberals. I'll be honest. Like I come up from the Midwest. I come from a particular background. Liberals weird me out. So I think I had a tech Later, particularly after I left the ISO, I started to get this notion that, like, you know what? Democrats and Republicans are equally far away from socialist revolutionary politics. There's not really any difference. I mean, there are differences about what the nature of that difference is, but I started to think that there wasn't that much of a difference. And over time, I really started to feel like I was having more meaningful conversations with people who, who hailed conservative than, than liberals. And then finally, this whole thing, COVID hit. And the left went completely nuts. It had been getting more and more nuts. Um, and uh, then I know I was talking to some comrades 
maybe a year or two ago thinking like, you know what, we're, I think we're going to have to be willing to go to pro don't take my guns from me rally because socialists are, are, are for workers having their own weapons. So why are we, why are we against that? You know? So, you know, but we may be, so anyway, there were some of my comrades questioned that. And I think even they now are starting to question their own questioning and starting to say like, no, there's, there's something to be done there in terms of a left and a right dealing with each other in some way, shape or form and revolutionary socialist revolutionaries having to figure out how to deal with that and manage that and be part of that. I think this is great that we're discussing our, how we've come to or our own background first a bit, not like we're delving into our politics and our positions, but more of where we are, where we are seeing our, our lens, no, mm-hmm. first, but I don't think I can go second, not yet. Shall I as the effective uh, token um, <laughs> semi-right winger go, go next? Um, um, so okay, so my my political background is uh, was basically was apolitical uh, for most of uh, most of college. You know, you know, growing up and then all the way through college, and I was just you know I was focused more on martial arts and just staying out of trouble than anything. Um, but then, um, uh, there was a few influences that sort of got me into like politics. I had a, I had a professor that, uh, shared, um, was for, uh, American lit class and he was contextualizing the, the climate, the history of the time. And I remember him showing, um, this is all that I remember about it, but it was, it was, he was showing some slides and one of them was showing how Robert McNamara, right, was, uh, you know, uh, running running the war in Vietnam. Then he was the president of the Ford Foundation. And, I, and if my memory serves me correctly, I believe he had uh, a role at the World Bank as well. And it was the first like, wait, one guy is in war, a nonprofit affiliated with a, uh, a motor company and banking. Like, you can't have one person in all three of those things. Like, that's a conflict of interest. And it was just. It, it kind of sparked my interest, and then I started. I, I was listening to Immortal Technique at the time, and he, you know, he was, you know, a lot of revolutionary politics, obscure history, and so I would go to the go to the library, and I would get you know documentaries like The Murder of Fred Hampton, right? Uh, docu- uh, I read the Chase Motorcycle Diaries, right? Um, you know, uh, Weather Underground stuff. Like there's, there was a documentary that come out at the time. I was just you know, uh, it, it was interesting to me that, uh, you know, I'd gotten that far. And, you know, you get a lot of, uh, even in, you know, I'm, a, I'm a liter- uh, in literature, right? Um, that's my scholar of English literature. And, you know, there's the Marxist um, theory, Marxist critique. And so, they, you know, that would get tossed around. But um, it was just, it, it struck me as odd that um, the, the, the way that one of the things that stood out to me was, you know, just growing up. Um, you know, you heard about the Black Panther Party, then it was like, you know, they're like these militant nationalist people. It was like, no, actually they weren't. Like, you know, they had like breakfast programs, like healthcare programs, right? Fred Hampton over here, he organized with the Young Patriots and the Young Lords, right? And, uh, you know, he actually had a, like, this is where, this is where Jesse Jackson got his whole idea about the Rainbow Coalition from. Um, and I was like, well, wait, I've been, I've been lied to about, uh, this movement. And, um, so I, I, you know, I just got more and more into it. Um, and then when Obama got in, 
um, you know, he, he talked, uh, he, he sounded very much, you know, leaning towards socialist politics, right? Uh, um, and then he turned out to be, you know, this neoliberal that, you know, basically wasn't much different from George Bush, right? Um, you know, so I, I just remember looking around and, and seeing, you know, well, uh, you know, what was going on in the Iraq war at the time as well. And I'm like, yeah, socialists are against this. And uh, uh, but when Obama got in, um, uh, all the people that, uh, you know, the professors that um, were, um, you know, left leaning, we'll say at the very least, a lot of some of them, you know, outspoken socialists, uh, they were all of a sudden, everything that Bush did was okay because Obama did it. He was, you know, was on their team. And I was just, it was bizarre to me, right? Um, it was like Animal Farm. I'm like, you know, I'm a principal person one way or another. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to tell me it's okay here, but it's not okay there. It's the same thing. It's wrong. It's wrong. So um, at, at that point, um, I had some friends that weren't in college. You know, they're looking at all alternative media, conspiracy theory, right? And they'd send me, come on, that sounds crazy. And then I'm, I'm at the college. I'm like, if this is true, I'll be able to find some of this stuff in the library. And, you know, one of the things that that, uh, that piqued my interest was eugenics. And, uh, you know, it's embarrassing to say that I was almost graduated from undergrad uh, and had never heard of the term, right? And you get all of this racial justice rhetoric but we're not talking, no one's going to mention eugenics. Like what, what is up with that as well? Right. And so, um, you know, that, that got me listening more to these alt media, uh, sources because these were the people that really were talking about it. the history of eugenics, our involvement in it in the United States, right. First sterilization law, uh, Rockefeller foundation funding, Kaiser Wilhelm Institute, right. Uh, uh Prescott Bush funding, um, Union Bank, uh, uh, the, the Nazi regime through Union Banking Corporation. Uh, and so a lot of those people were, you know, libertarian leading, right? And so I'm like, okay, well, at least they're calling out, right? A, they're calling out what Obama's doing. And some of them called out Bush too. So I'm like, oh, these people are consistent, right? Um, and so I, so I kind of started leaning into, you know, I guess what you would call like, you know, more right-wing uh, economics and politics. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it traditional conservative. You know, libertarian is not a traditional conservative. Um, and then when Trump got in, basically the same thing happened, right? All the, uh, I don't want to say all of them, but there's a large portion of them. Some of the bigger uh, alternative media outlets, you know, they just started to do what the lefties did with Obama, right? And at that point, I was like, these labels mean nothing. Like these words, like, you know, I mean, they, they can provide a theoretical framework to organize ideas, but uh, as soon as you try to wedge reality into that or you try to deny, right, uh, the contradiction within, um, they become uh, silos, right? They, they, they do not help you get to the root of the problem. They do not help you analyze uh, one regime to another, and as far as the continuity of agenda uh, from from uh, you know state corporate power over over many different um, administrations. So you know at this at that point, like all I'm going to do is I'm just going to look at you know is it totalitarian or is it or does it um, is it for the people right? Does it is it for regular working class people? 
Is there liberty and freedom involved, or is it basically consolidation of state power and corporate power? Does it merge the two together? That's all I'm looking at, right? You can call it left, you can call it right, you can call it communist, socialist, capitalist, libertarian. I'm okay with using those terms and understanding, especially because because people talk from those, so you have to understand them. But um, you know, I have no attachments to any of them, right? And I, I'm I'm ready to point out, you know, the totalitarian angles that any of these so-called you know ideologies uh, can lead you into. So you know, I basically just became sort of a, an empiricist slash agnostic in terms of, of politics. Right? I'm just looking at a policy or an issue. I'm looking at what it does, uh, regardless of the label that you can put on it. And because of that, because I've been on both sides of it, um, you know, I don't, um, I'm totally open to talking to anybody on, on either side and I'm totally okay with, and, and, you know, I do my best to speak to them from their paradigm, but try to show them where there's holes in it or there's blind spots and try to show them where it actually overlaps with the other side. And then try to, trying to, trying to get people in that space where we can actually organize something and um, instead of right having uh, half the country and the other two halves of the country fight each other over ideological terms when you know we're, we're pretty much uh, at the end of the road here right we don't, we don't even have time for that right I mean it's it, and that's sort of what you're you're feeling as far as uh, you know like you said once COVID happened I mean like uh, at the end of the day when you when you go to these rallies and you've got you know, hey, we're all you know what I mean. We all want to be free, and we want to basically be left alone. Now, there's particulars that we'll have to work out as that as that uh, as we go about that. But uh, that's that's my basic background, I guess. Yeah, it's funny. I was. I want to let Eduardo. I want to let you um say your your piece too but just really quick um on that like kind of rhetoric thing and like throwing around the terms and like having to throw around the terms because that's how people do it that's how they they do discourse i was thinking the other day like what if just every time somebody at one of these like covid anti whatever covid critical um events like what if when they say patriot i just replace it with comrade and it it almost works. Like it almost works because what they mean, I mean, the first time I, I had somebody like early, I think one of the first rallies I went to in 2020, you know, I said like, Oh, you're a Patriot. And I'm like, hell no, I'm not a Patriot, you know, but it's like over time developing relationships with these people, what, what they mean by that is actually not that dissimilar to what I mean when I say comrade, it's like, no, I'm, I'm here you know, and solidarity with you. Like, that's what they mean. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, the language is tricky and we're all like educators of some kind. So I think we all probably like, I don't know, I put a lot of value on language and I have to sort of reel myself in sometimes when I hear terminology that's like, oh, but that's not the right word, right? To have to like restrain my English teacher. <laughs> anyway, Eduardo, what do you think? I well, why don't you go, Jessica, about your, your lens? Or your oh, my background. lens? I mean, I think I, I certainly developed critiques of the mainstream left. And I think, like, for me, so I was in college, like, early college, right as Obama came into office for his first term. And that was, like, I mean, not, you know, a couple of years later, I was, I was, 
pretty fucking disappointed. And I remember, I remember um, Libya specifically was kind of like one of the first uh, issues or areas where I'm just like, holy shit, like this isn't any different and it's actually worse in some ways. And then after college, I went to New York and that's where I, I was there during Occupy. And so that was a big thing for me in terms of sort of understanding, you know, the, the total illusion that the mainstream political left was doing anything for any of us, right. And like the 99% as they would say in that, in that movement. But I think it really wasn't until I would say, I mean, I campaigned for Bernie and I would say the first, the first time Bernie ran, uh, 2016, right. Yeah. Um, and I saw you know, what I would say would maybe be like culturally conservative, but kind of economically left Latinos, for example, standing in coalition with so-called leftists and kind of seeing the the power that that, I mean, it was obviously a limited, <laughs> limited thing. And now I look back and you know, it was a total sheepdogging, but, you know, I saw people from across the line and I, I oftentimes think it does, it really does get framed as like only through those cultural issues, um, as opposed to the economic ones as well. Right. Which are in some ways, you know, they shape our lives more in some ways, right. Like the class-based analysis and all that. Um, so yeah, I would say it was, yeah, when Bernie ran, that was when I was first sort of like, ah, okay, I could, I think I could work with people because I I mean, I grew up, I went to total like, uh, blue state, left leaning, liberal arts college. I lived in Portland, Oregon, New York city, you know, very, very liberal. And, and I just didn't have a lot of exposure really growing up. I mean, I went to high school in Kansas, which is Obviously, there's a lot more conservatives there, but I was in a little blue pocket and I was I was very young. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's when you actually start, you know, you're in a movement, and you actually start meeting people. <laughs> I think that's I mean, that's always like in any any aspect of life. Right. It's like when you actually meet people in the flesh, you realize, oh, OK, it's actually um, we actually have more in common than they would have us think. And then once COVID hit. Uh, you know, uh, any sort of illusion I had uh, about that divide just kind of was shattered. And I've spent, you know, since summer of 2020, when I started kind of like getting out and trying to whatever, do some activism or find people in person. Um, I A lot of those people are right-leaning to some extent. Um, and then just recently, uh, I, as I mentioned to you guys before we hit record, I attended uh, a, a protest rally. This was one of the End the Damn Wars rallies, which was basically, it was uh, the coordinated events across the United States in, I'm not sure how many major cities, maybe like, I don't know, half a dozen, a dozen. Uh, a big one was in DC, but we had a little event here in Seattle and it was very simple message. I wasn't part of organizing or anything. I just heard about it and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm anti-war. <laughs> Let me go check it out. And I I got there and it was absolutely amazing. It was a small rally of maybe, oh, maybe like four to five people, 50 people. Uh, but it was probably the most eclectic group of people, <laughs> politically speaking, that I have ever seen. I mean, it, it, there was 
I found out about it through our local um, action for Assange group. So, you know, people who advocate for, for Julian Assange and free press and, you know, against censorship and all that. So there was like a, a Julian Assange activists there. There was an anti-fascist group. There were veterans against, or veterans for peace. Um, there was the sort of local uh, chapter of the Libertarian Party. There were random anarchists. And, and then there were Boogaloo Boys, which was kind of, I think they were kind of the group that their presence then there was you know hit pieces written about not so much our seattle one because it was so small but i know the one in dc like you know there's just all this all this crap online because god forbid you know we'd be present at an event where a boogaloo boy would be there um so yeah it was it was really interesting and that was another kind of reason that i sort of triggered me to think about, oh, maybe we should go into this a little bit more deeply because that was a much more eclectic group than I see even in with the COVID stuff. Um, And that, I mean, it was just, it was just anti-imperialism. Like that was the framework. And so it was, it was really, um, it was quite impressive to see how diverse of a, a a group of people it brought out. It was also disappointing to see that there were 45 people, um, which is pretty small, but I think that speaks to, you know, how sort of um, run down the anti-war movement in this country has has become over the past, I don't know, couple of decades really. So yeah, I don't know, that was my, that was my little background up until present, I guess. Eduardo, do you want to share your... <laughs> Well, I was just, I was thinking as you all were talking, I was thinking what makes it different, um, like H1, and I and I just wrote keywords on my, just document, just with one word, like, as far as like socialism, Andy, and then another one was like, I was thinking more conservative views or liberal politics. And I think, first, I think like my lens is, well, I'm Mexican, no? So, so I so I come from a different background from all of you because it, in Mexico we don't have such strong divides like this. It's not. It's almost like here politics is like a sport. It's very. It's football. It's like you know you're very tribal and it's your team or that team. Even if you don't agree with some parts of this team, you'll still just go for it because we have to be part of it. You're part of this team, and in Mexico you. It just isn't like that. There's diverse thinking in the way that you might think about something. For example, abortion. No one, I don't know a lot of people in my family who agrees with abortion, but everyone has all of the, a lot of women in my family has had an abortion. <laughs> so it, it isn't like they're going to be against it. They uh, Politically, they don't go out and go in front of a clinic and they're not out there rallying and you know i'm sure there's like a very small percentage but here in the usa you see these massive rallies and people get violent and they get in front of cars and everything it's like and you see and like you know it's it's so uh, it's like violent here and there it's a minority of people that will do that i mean most people are working they don't care and 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 so i think that the thought of abortion is an example of how you can disagree with it by your own beliefs, but you don't go against it as a political thing. It's not a political issue. It's not a part of your identity. Like I have to stand for this and I have to be, there's none of that. So it's a bit more thing in the same way as same-sex marriage in Mexico. uh, We had same-sex marriage before the USA did, no? 
and here it's like no it, it's going against family values it's again but we are very conservatives ourselves but then in mexico city you had you know same-sex unions before you did in this country and in the same way about guns here it's like you know i think i've adopted more so a lot of the things here in the usa because it's about gun control gun control and everyone in mexico is like well, if you take away our guns, how are we going to take care of ourselves? Because I, we don't trust the government and we don't trust the people around in our neighborhood. And we're going to shoot somebody if we have to, to take care of our family. So it's very controversial here to say that. But in Mexico, a lot of people in my family have a gun. And I came over there sometimes, I think adopted a lot of the US American thinking about gun control. And then just like, what are you talking about? The world's a messy place and you have to know how to use one. And so, I, I, yeah, oh, I thought, oh, yeah, that's true. And then, it, like, this whole idea of, like, identity politics, another one that I've adopted here, it's like, you know, it, it's in Mexico, all of, I know lots of Mexicans that look like each one of you. They can look like you, they can look like me, and they can look as Black as any of the Black African-Americans that I've seen here, from Veracruz to very close to Belize, and very, uh, and then certain parts of Mexico where there's white Mexicans. So I think the identity politics, another one that I adopted, <clears throat> you never hear personas de color. If you say something like people of color, like, what do you mean people of color? It's not, what do you mean people? Like, I'm a person of color? Where do I fit? Like, it's, at this, it's more about class. And then it's, so I think that, and this is where I did have issues around socialism growing up is that in Mexico, you don't have anything around socialism, right? Like, my, this is my view, like, you don't think about socialism in the way that they do here, about sort of this theoretical or college or this way of thinking that's very cool, like, it's very awesome, and yes, I've read Marx, and oh, I can tell you about this theory and this economics. Like, people live through a lot of things, and they're just, like, listening to a lot of the Cubans that went over from Cuba to Mexico and they live there. And I've said here before that I grew up <clears throat> with a Cuban neighbor in my neighborhood in Mexico. And they'll tell you like socialism is a, a different concept from how it is on book script. So I think that just that idea of like right and left, going back to this topic that we're going to discuss, this right and left concept, I think I've more so been um, taking up that way of thinking by being here. And I've realized over this past here in COVID and everything, how how strong those 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 identities are, and I didn't realize how strong they were until this past COVID journey that I had. And so I I, I thought about this a lot in with my family and my friends, and I thought this is so tribal in in Mexico. We, we can disagree, and it, everything's going to be all right. Like they're not going to drop you for being friends with your Catholic, your Catholic friend, you know, again, it's like your friend, your religion is just your religion, but they don't hear. If I was to say, I remember working in San Francisco, the school district, and I remember having liberal friends. If I said I was religious, it was like, oh, so there was a whole connotation around being religious and Mexico, lots of people are religious, but that doesn't mean that you're conservative, you know? So it just has that way of thinking. And it's just, polarizing is here um you know but there's also this way of thinking like of course they want lots of mexicans because of the economic way of thinking i know i thought of this too i also wanted we want bigger government but it's interesting we also have smaller 
guerrilla forces like in Mexico, like the Zapatista movement, right? Which doesn't exist, you know, any almost non-existent these days if you have a, a guerrilla movement like that. And especially in Latin America, it's still surviving. Something that would be unheard of here in the USA. So again, it, it's like, okay, you want bigger government, but you also don't want to have a government that is going to attack a guerrilla force in Mexico. I think Mexico would up, um, rise up against that. So it's weird, this left and right dichotomy. And um, so I, I'm still exploring it here. And I think for me, it's it's been hurtful in the way that people have been um, positioning themselves. And I've already shared about that. I'm not going to talk about that today. But just people can check out the episode where I really felt like friends. I didn't realize how these positions were so integral or so rooted down deep into people's psyche and core and so, and, and this is not an experience that I have in my country. So here it's, it's, I hope that we can figure out how do we then work with other people that have our differences if it's a, a divided line here, you know? Yeah, I think part of what I failed to realize for such a long time was just the degree to which the divisiveness, right, which is, I believe, largely manufactured, enables the ruling class to stay the ruling class, right? I mean, it, it makes sense. Yeah, right. Like division, keep the paupers down. But I just, I don't think I really grasped until quite recently how, how um, strong that is. And it's like, you see like your, your relationships that you're referring to Eduardo and a lot of us have gone through similar things. And I mean, you want to talk about like destruction of the American family or whatever. Like, I mean, just look at the past year and a half, like that's actually people's relationships being torn apart, you know, over something as, I don't know, in some ways stupid as a, a vaccine or mm -hmm. a mask or a tweet or, you know, oh my God, she went to coffee with a libertarian, right. like white supremacist, right? I mean, yeah. And and having people call me a Trumpist, you know, like that was the first time that happened. I was like, what? Like we're living in the upside down because um, it just made no sense. Like I didn't vote for him. My sign says nothing about them. Yeah. When I when I came back to the college, I'm just go ahead and say it. When I came, the first day that I went back to um, for a union negotiation at the, I've only been on one of the campuses. And won't be going back to either one ever again at this point until the mandates go away. But I walk in the door and. Um, the first thing that the, the security was there, the first thing that they said was, well, if it isn't our favorite right-wing conservative, and I don't know if he said, did he say extremist? Or did he say, there was something else after, but I was so, and um, I'm guessing that, uh, to your point, nobody ever said that to me beforehand, but see, during the whole year that we were locked down, I was on the, the, the adjunct representative on the CARES committee, and um, 
you know, I was like, hey, what's up with this contact tracing? What's up with this? What's up with that? What are you doing with the data? Like, you know, what, and then we were looking at, we we're contracting with all these new uh, tech companies. And I'm like, hey, you know, I want to see the privacy statement, you know. And I'm guessing that just by asking those questions, not framed from any ideological perspective, that this, this was considered right wing. Um, today, right wing is not a compliment, right? Like, like, you know, especially in academia. Um, but I don't know that it will, it was a jab either. Like I possibly based on some other things, some, the way I read some other things, maybe they were saying that as, as a compliment, maybe they liked I was asking some of those questions or something, but it's just to your point, you know, it's like asking a question gets you labeled right or left. Right. Like you didn't say anything. I didn't say anything about capitalism, socialism, anything, Trump, uh, Biden. I didn't say anything like that. And, and immediately it gets affiliated with one of these labels. I just I just wanted. So when Jessica brought up the idea that left and right is just another division, I know that. So that has not been the way that that we as or the socialists I've been around have talked about that particular area. Like they wreck socialists that I've been with, you know, and been, you know, are organizing with, recognize the divide between black workers and white workers or native workers and immigrant workers or workers from one nation versus another. That's why we're not into patriotism because or nas nationalism because we're in, for international working class or recognize the difference, um, the divisions between women and men that are sown by the system. Um, but we didn't really talk that way about say the left and the right as we actually said that well that no those are political those are political divisions that at one level in our own minds we're like big right like we're saying the left is the is our group more our group that we're swimming in and the right we, we won't be there at the same time the left was largely defined by the democratic party the right was largely defined by the republican party and we even as socialists said that these two parties were almost identical i mean like so it, there are some weird things. How do you then say these are these big divisions when the things that define these two sides are so are actually by and large two two wings of the capital of the capitalist class playing a game? Because as Jake pointed out, there's not a giant difference between Obama and Trump, and that's something socialists have said for a long time. So how do we explain that we that we see such a big difference in in the in these movements with right or left? And so it, it's a question for me because we 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 thought we saw one movement as one we would be part of, but part of that for me from the socialist vantage point is we have always said, oh, we're not for the Democrats. Yet it, almost in our hearts, we're like, we don't we we won't vote for the Democrats, but we hope we win. They, they, we hope they win politically, you know. And so we, I feel like we never situated ourselves not in terms of. We situate ourselves in terms of Democrats and Republicans, whether we liked it or not, by situating ourselves in terms of left and right. It forced us to almost take, instead, if we had just reminded ourselves, we're for the working class, and we asked this question, are Democrats working class? Yes. Are Republicans working class? Yes, in both, in both cases. Oh, Republicans are patriotic? Well, look, look, what the Democrat, look what Democrats are doing now as they line up for the Department of Defense. Operation Warp Speed, Big Pharma. I mean, I understand they're not waving a flag, but you can't be more patriotic right now than a, than, than a so-called left winger who is like saying everyone should get jabbed. Like, I, 
That's that's more nationalistic than anybody waving a flag. And I think we the socialists, we kept ourselves obscured from the from the political differences that exist within these sectors, some Republicans over here and Democrats, and actually kept ourselves fairly confused as to how to relate to both groups. Um, and therefore, we're not able to relate to either group because it turns out these Democrats hate communism. Well, hate working class democracy um, as much as as whatever Republicans we thought. You know, these people are as authoritarian, as tyrannical, perhaps even more as the as that other side. And are, and will and will force anything down workers' throats if they possibly can do it. So, I just feel like all I can say is I'm just raising more questions about wh- the, where I come from, and um, I don't exactly know why we we're so confused. But I'm I, I am left with nothing else but to chart a different course, essentially, because I've I've, I've been cast out of the left, you know, largely. I mean, the, the, I don't get to define the left as anti-vax. The left is pro-vax. I'm just going to say it because that's where they're coming from. I just happen to be a person who came came from that over there, and I'm I'm against the COVID vaccine. And at this point, I'm anti-vax. Like I'm just going to say it. You know, like I've learned enough now that I'm like these other vaccines and capitalist medicine has got big questions for me. So um, I don't know. It's kind of a ramble, but those are some thoughts I had as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Like who do we go to like as socialists or whatever anti-imperialists like we're trying to go to our union right like and you tried to go to your union there's nothing there you try to go um to a political party whatever green party uh, third parties there's you can't get anywhere right you try to anywhere you, you turn there's there's nothing there so what else do we do but like find the other vagabonds and castaways, right? Well, I had a thought about a couple times in comment, uh, this idea of patriotism has come up, right? Or this word, right? And the, the people in uh, Jessica sort of uh, talked about how you could, you could uh, take the term patriotism and you could compare it to the term comrade and it could be very similar or we could be, we could be meaning the same things, right? If we would get rid of the baggage of what all went left and right and all the other terms that you have to attach to, to that word. And, uh, you know, one of the things I just want to point out is in my experience, uh, you know, uh, working with people on the, on the right is that when they say I'm a patriot, they don't mean uh, that I am for the our, the, the government for you know our wars, our you know for corporatism, for the power structure, for for the elite. They don't mean that. They just mean that like I I love my country and the people that are in my community. Like and like I'm gonna stand up for them. And I I know people now like people I grew up with that like, none of us were political. And in the in the last year since COVID, like you know I'm going over to their house. They got an American flag on the car. Like, like, dude, like, we used to, we used to joke about, like, buy American and, like, haha, kind of, like, laugh about it. Like, like, you know, and I'm thinking about it, like, dude, you're not even political. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, for years, I would, you know, I rant about politics and, you know, I mean, not like they wouldn't listen or just glaze over, but it's not like they're calling me tomorrow, like, hey, dude, I was reading some stuff and, you know, and, and, and dialoguing about it. And, 
um, you know, I, I've, I've thought about it, like, like what is that phenomenon sociologically? Like, if you think about what's happened in the last year and the, the basic freedoms that we've had in this imperfect country in, in, over the last decade, the freedoms that we grew up with, like, hey, you know, like you can go to the park, you can go to the store, you can, you can say something in public and not have to worry about losing your job. You know, you can have a slip of the tongue or say something that's not super nice and not have to worry about being shunned from society. Like, all this type of stuff. Like, like to me, I think the reason why you see certainly now, like, like even people that were po political before, like I'm a patriot and I got the American flag is all they really mean is like, I, so I, uh, I support and I love the, the, the freedoms that I had in this country, right? As imperfect as they might be and as, you know what I mean, as, with, all, with all the problems of state and corporate power, like, so, you know, when people say that, they don't, they don't, they don't mean like, you know, this, this uh, hyper version of nationalism, is, you know, racist, xenophobic type of nationalism. They, they just mean something very similar to what, like, Jessica said, like, when you say comrade, you mean like, you know, you're my working class brother or sister, and I have solidarity with you, uh, and you know, and I love you, and, and and I'm and I'm for you, and you know, and I'll and I'll and I'll go to to uh, to be you know for you, you know, I, I have your back basically. And that's you know, I, I just wanted to put that put that out there for for people to, you know, what I mean, like when you for people that hear patriot, like yeah, you know, like just that's you know, you don't they don't have to mean that. I'm not saying some people don't mean that, you know, but I know that a lot of people don't mean that when they say patriot. So. I, I think I would add to that, that a lot of people who also are anti-immigrant also in some ways, it's strange because I was living in Idaho for some time as well. And I remember that they would say things like they're patriotic or they're, they are also uh, anti-immigration, but then once, they would, and this is in a white community in Emmett, Idaho, in a small town. And once they got to know me, for example, somehow, even though there was rhetoric or there were things that were said that were somewhat racist, very racist sometimes too, uh, there was, uh, it was always talking about it like in some concept and not directly at me. Most of the time, there have been situations where people have said, I won't deny that because it's my experience. It's what happened, not like I invented. It's like people have said stuff directly to me, but but it was always like those people. And I said, I would remind people, I'm those people. And people, well, not like you, they would say something like that. Somehow it was strange, but it was. So I, I think that what I'm trying to get at with what your comment, Jake, is, is that there's something about there might be a smaller percentage of people who truly are, I would say, strongly racist that to the core, or maybe it's not the same with a patriotic example you're giving, but or who are deeply patriotic to the core, like you're saying, that they truly are going to give themselves up for this country and all. But there's also not, that, like within that range, there are people who just put up the flag because they're just proud to live in this country. And as well as people who say they're a little, you know, hesitant about accepting immigrants it's because they're just afraid of what newness or what it's encroaching on their livelihood or their way of living sometimes changes and so i think that there is a range but i don't think that people truly there must be a smaller percentage because when i get to know people they aren't as 
they are portrayed in the media, these people that are going after, they're strongly, you know, that, that I have met in Florida and in Idaho and other places, these Trump supporters, these racist Trump supporters, for example, you know, which I think opens up the, the possibility for folks, I think, and this is what I have shared with people of color, that that opens up the possibility of working with other people who are on the so-called right, because there is something beyond that rhetoric. There is something else, and I think we can explore that further. But I speak to other people of color. I say, "Well, hold on, let's let's have this conversation because I know what they're saying can be hurtful, or whatever is being said at a certain rally, and they're showing up. It's associated to them." It's as if that is, and so they're of the right, and these are the races, and we group them all, no? And so, of course, it's going to be difficult. But when you're in the rally, or as in my, in my case, when you're actually in these conservative circles, I don't, I, in my experience, it hasn't been that, 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 that portrayal that is, that is, that is depicted in the media. Well, and just, I mean, so I'll add to that. Like, so when I talked about, you know, like growing up and you, you might read like vaguely in a, in a textbook or something about like the Black Panther fighting Black nationalists, they're out to get white people and stuff. And it's like, like, so people that never had any interaction with the Panther Party, right, they have this caricature and it's scary. And so they're responding to the scary caricature. But if they meet a Black person, Right, they're just gonna treat them like a person in the meantime, and, but they will actually realize that. Right, then they'll go home and they'll say these racist things and they'll have these mm -hmm. stereotypes. But and then, and they won't go like, well, wait a minute, like I wouldn't say that around you know my coworker or right. my, my friend or you know or this this guy that I you know I uh, encounter at the at the store every day and we're friendly or whatever, and it, and it never clicks. And so you know they you know they will say stuff that's racist, but. They're, they're not actually like, you know, uh, like KKK or like, you know, actively looking to keep black people out of sight. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're they're responding to these caricatures in the media, which again, right, is, is to divide, right? Like in the meantime, Fred Hampton was organizing with white people. So, um, but you know, and, and what that does is creates, right, or it creates that, it creates that division. So um, that's, to, to your point, I would give that as an example. I mean, I think just to a large extent, right, we use the language that is available to us, that's supplied to us, right? And so, I mean, maybe that's why I have such trouble, you know, when I when I want to say left, but then I'm like, ah, oh, but I gotta I gotta define it because I I don't want to be misunderstood, but I I don't really have the language to describe what I am or, or any of this, right? Because it's, I don't know. I mean, it's just a lot of these terms have been, they've either been emptied of meaning or they've just been completely flipped, right? And like a total Orwellian, you know, freedom doesn't actually mean freedom anymore, right? Um, it, it happened today. Um, we we did our, our first um, event on campus with the little group that I've been forming here. and we were so careful and so precise to make sure that we were framing it as a pro choice ra rally or outreach um, 
and immediately, right, it's like anti-vax, anti-vax, anti-vax. We have people in our group who are standing there saying, I am vaxxed. <laughs> like, I'm literally vaxxed. And it just, it, it didn't matter, right? Because that anti-vax is the language that is available right now. And that's what, that's what people will use, right? It's just like a default. Um, and like with pro-choice, my body, mind choice, this stuff, like I had some, someone come up to me and like, they were trying to do like a, like a gotcha and they brought up the abortion thing. Right. And they said, well, I, I hope you're pro-choice for that too. I'm like, well, you picked the wrong person in the group because actually, yeah, actually I am consistent on that. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, do people mean that they're for droning foreign nations when they say they're a patriot? I think upper 90 percentiles. No, they don't. Like you said, Jake, like they just mean they love their community and they're proud of it. And in some sense, I'm kind of jealous of a lot of these conservatives who have that like really deep pride. Um, because I don't, I mean, that's just not something that I really relate to. Like I remember even when I was young and didn't really know much at all about America as a sort of force for evil and suffering in the world like I remember I studied abroad in western Africa and it's embarrassing to say you're from America like it was embarrassing to me I don't know if I mean I feel like time will tell for me what of this is just semantics because the question is is can can we unite and when I say we I'm I have to speak for myself I'm a I'm a socialist revolutionary and I I believe I don't believe that America was ever a democracy. Like it's, for me, it's always been a bourgeois dictatorship of some sort taken. It took different forms during levels of economic crisis or whatever, but it, it, it was always, it's about, for me, it's, it's always been a dictatorship and it's always been the country from which the center, like there's capitalism across the globe. So the European capitalists are no better. The only difference is they're out of power. And if the Chinese capitalists ever, in my opinion, and I understand like Jake and I might disagree about whether they're competing, I think they're competing. If the Chinese capitalists get over on the United States, they're going to be the worst of the worst. They're going to be, they will then be the new bullies on the block because capitalism demands that whoever's on top be, be a dictator to the working class that they rule, as well as, you know, try to like exploit as much, as many workers across the globe as they possibly can. Um, so for me, the things like, ISIS and terrorism. I wasn't concerned, like the biggest terrorist was United States, in my opinion, or things like, wait about what about, uh, you know, they're just letting people come across our border and take our jobs. The biggest problem was the capitalists who are eradicating those jobs and we needed to unite with those workers. So no, I don't, I don't buy that. I'm, I'm for open borders. So those, like, my question is, will people hear those kinds of positions and be like, wait, wait, we can't be in the same place. Because I'm trying to get America back to what it was, that, that person, that person. And I and Andy is trying to take America down, like it and and with it the capitalist system and create a, a world that's called communism, which is working class democracy. And they would and those people at the same time would say, wait, the people I'm think I'm fighting are the communists, you. So there is a question for me of like when if if I'm open about my political views, will those be welcomed? Um, and that, that is a question for me, but the reality is, is that question existed on the left as well. 
Um, so it's no different ultimately than what that question of will these politics uh, be, be have, an, have an audience here is no different on the left as well. And mostly what socialists have done is has hid their politics, put, put that wrap themselves in a reformist blanket and not, never been willing to say that basically we're for, you know, armed working revolution. And we, for, we are for the U S military losing. We are for getting everyone out of jail, right? We, we are for dismantling the police and replacing it with workers, workers self-defense. So those are positions that historically social revolutionaries have taken. I still, I still think what that would look like. I don't know, but that is still makes sense to me in terms of the prospect of revolution is going to be the dismantling of all the various institutions of the state, the military, the police, and, you know, uh, the government that we, as we see it, national boundaries gone, you know, working class internationalism, you know? So if, if somebody says they're for workers, but that doesn't cross a border, then I go, I have some questions about that. But I do admit that this question of passports is coming up, that's coming up internally, has allowed me to begin to have conversations with people I've met on the right about passports, not just passports to get into Starbucks, but passports to get into the United States. Is there a fundamental difference between those? And that, that has been valuable to be able to, and again, I will say I've gotten more openness from people on the right. They don't agree with me, but they're willing to engage in that conversation. I, I will say more so far than what I've experienced on the left, where people just nod their heads and, and, and say we agree, but we don't really agree. The police is an interesting one too, because that comes up a lot. Um, I've been at um, like COVID related rallies where, you know, people are like, we love the police. We love them. And oftentimes they are quite friendly, you know, if it's a small non-threatening thing. But I think, you know, I, I see it as a total disconnect on the part of like super police friendly conservatives. Cause I'm like, you're out here. You know, uh, saying that the state doesn't have a right to infringe upon your your bodily autonomy. You don't want them in your you know small business, whatever. Um, and yet, it's like, well, the police are literally the people who enforce the state's mandates. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's like they're agents of the state, literally in the most straightforward way. But I think um, that I mean, that's that disconnect is is not. Um, I don't see it, it it going away in America right now. But then you look at Australia, right? And you see these, you know, anti-lockdown or, you know, rallies against the passports. And you just see the police like beating the shit out of people. I mean, if it gets to that here, I, I, I have to believe that people on both sides of the aisle are going to, are going to see it for what it is. Um, and it's just, I mean, it, I really hope it doesn't come to that. But I do think that's that's one where it it it's a real it's a real threat. Like we've seen how fast it's happened in in Australia and other countries, and I mean it it may force people to kind of reevaluate on that, at least on that particular issue. And I don't want to, but just to say, yesterday's meeting, Jake. Right, I've been now reaching out, and I'm working with a person who's a police officer fighting the mandates, and I'm not sure where this is going to go. Like. It, so I'll just say that, and I'm sure Jake or Eduardo might have something to say about it, because I don't know, I don't know where it leads. And I've even told told the person that, like, this is new for me. And I, can we be in the same place and be okay? I don't know. Well, 
Um, I mean, well, two two things. I'll try to make it short. Like one is, are police a type of worker? I mean, like they're wage laborers, right? And you know, there's a difference between the chief, and then there's also a difference between the elected sheriff. And there's sheriffs in certain counties that are like, I'm not enforcing these commandments. You know, I've spent a lot of time in martial arts, so I've a lot of law enforcement in martial arts. Some of my best friends are in law enforcement, and some of them have told me in their respective jurisdictions that I ain't going to do it. I'm not going to enforce it, right? And so, um, and that's and that's why the sheriff is elected, right? Because you can vote them out, and you want you can vote in somebody that's not going to enforce, you know, uh, unjust laws. So, I mean, you know, I, you know, institutionally, obviously, right? You know. The police force is is the arm of the state, you know, in in partnership with you know the corporate hierarchy. But you know, it doesn't mean that every every cop is going to do that, right? And it doesn't mean that um, you know. I mean, dude, in some ways, law enforcement is one of the largest uh, you know industries or whatever you want trades or whatever you want to call it. It's actually got their union to get some kind of traction there. And so you know, another way to say that is. All those people now, they, you know, if, they're, if they force them out of the force, then it's a different scenario. But let's say they win. Are they going to go around enforcing mandates? Why would they, right? So I mean, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, I mean, I think there's a difference between the institution of policing versus you know individual police officers. Like that's, and, and I do think that's, you know, just like we're going left, right. You know, we're going to have to, you know, make those type of alliances as well. I mean, that's, that's what I. So here's what the left has said about that. Yes, there's working class police and working class soldiers, working class teachers and working class nurses. And, but the, historically, the way the socialists have talked about the police has been because of the in, this indoctrination in order to roust homeless and to, to be in communities of color, essentially be an occupying army inside. That's the way it's been put that it's much harder to break. So it's almost like that's a working class, section of the working class that, that is not gonna almost come over to us. We're gonna have to run them off the streets. And, and the example often used is the 1930s um, uh, during the general strikes when police were trying to come in to bust up unions and, and women and men got together and ran the police off the streets. Um, and there's been a difference the way, and the socialists or re, socialist revolutionaries would say that the military was a little different that they would use, they would see it more the way you're talking about Jake in the military where you, you had privates and a lot of like people being used and the po the possibility of people breaking for the revolution. We always saw much more as in the, in the, in the context of the military than say in the, um, in the police. And that's, so that's just the, the idea. It, I have to say though, things are swimming around in my head because currently I don't know anything more racist than lining up to say, we need to get all these kids jabbed. And that's what teachers are doing right now. Like, I don't know anything more frightening and more chilling than what teachers are doing right now. And I'm not saying teachers are the worst. Now are teachers the worst and cops are not the worst because it looks like more cops right now are lining up to fight these things than, than teachers. But I, I am, I have to say, I have to probably question this notion of, well, there's, some workers, not all workers are created equal, which is the way socialists have looked at it by virtue of training. Because frankly, apparently teachers have been getting training as well. And damn good training because we are trying to fix heads 
at a fast rate to get people to like do exactly what the state tells them to do. Um, and so I'm both posing the, the question, but also saying that my experience of things right now has really opened things wide up to be like, I don't know about these vi divisions and, and visions of workers who can't be brought over versus workers who can't. Yeah, I mean, we're all police now, right? We're all supposed to be policing each other today, like at the the rally. Nobody called campus security. Nobody called the police. But I, I mean, it was the most heated protest that I, or we didn't, it wasn't even a protest. It was an outreach, like it was supposed to be an outreach thing. It was the most heated event I've ever been to without police being involved, you know, like it was crazy. Like we were being <laughs> mobbed by like, I mean, I, you could call it, you could call it policing. Same thing. I mean, you want to get medical care, right? You're, you're being policed. You have to, you got to put that mask on, right? Grocery store, you know, even just like walking around outside sometimes, right? Your neighbor will police you. So. I mean, I think that was my epiphany as well. Uh, if you remember, uh, Andy, I remember driving and we were on the phone and I was going someplace and I said to you, you know, the police do exactly what the state, they're complicit. And that's what teachers are doing. They are being complicit and they're doing it there and they're doing it in the most, the perfect way. It's not even enforcement by force. It's, an, it's like propaganda for the state they, because teachers hold so much power in a classroom, you know, my nephew being in the in the class, he's always telling us they're always talking about how COVID is so dangerous. And that even though your parents might think differently, that you should try to help and teach your parents as if we're stupid, you know, as if we, the adults. And it's interesting, this basketball player, I don't follow sports very much, but this African-American, I, I was, I got an email from, I, get, I subscribed to the newsletter of Glenn Greenwald, and he was saying how there was this, I think, NBM player or something like that saying how he didn't want to get uh, vaccinated. And, you know, and and yet you see how people like Don Lemon, Lemon from CNN, CNN is saying stuff like, the, I, I can't have it with them anymore. Like have it, have them just, they're stupid, have them die or whatever. You know, the worst things from the left that you'd think that they're the most compassionate or the most highly moral, moral of the group, no? And so I, I do think that there is beginning, I'm also beginning to question how, and as I also explained, I saw a lot of people who were supposed to be allies of people of color and when the lockdowns were happening, and they were not allies of people of color at that time. When people of color wanted to go back to school, when they wanted to go back to their jobs, right? They were not being allies at that moment. They were looking for the brown voices that were in the minority that didn't want to go back. So, you know, now, again, link to that episode, we can talk about, the, they, you can listen to that. But I'm just saying, this is, it is sort of like disoriented. And as you were saying, I think it's also me very discombobulating for me to suddenly realize what's left, what's right, what's up, what's, what's, what's going on, no, where's my center? Because there are two things that I want to say at, one, at some point, that they're separate, or, or it'll be messy if I do both at the same time. So, uh, because there's a couple of things that were said. And uh, so let's, I'll start with this one. So the whole idea of um, open borders, nationalism versus internationalism, right? Like there's a, so there's a phrase that's usually used on the right. And uh, I say it's usually used on the right because it seems like when I hear people on the left use it, it's like, you know, kind of 
pejorative or like you know like kind of haha about it like the globalists right this term the globalists i know who are these globalists what do you mean like uh, i don't know world economic forum Bilderberg group trilateral commission council on foreign relations united nations the world bank right uh you know um i think that i mean and this is a this is an issue that i think um that I think both, even you know, even historically on the left, right? Like um, you know, Lois uh, Weiner, right, wrote about you know extensively on the the influence of the of the World Bank, right? Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, you know when they were giving out all those uh, loans back in the nineties, right? So, um, but the issue when when the right talks about globalism, right, it, it, it it's in juxtaposition with this idea of nationalism meaning like we're right now this lockdown thing is basically it's it's being marched the orders are coming from the globalists whatever right these people that hang out you know all the different heads of states all these different multinational corporations all these different international financiers they all get together in their little round tables and they decide like hey we're gonna run right everybody's locked down everybody's doing testing everybody's getting the vaccine every country Right. So so it's not a national thing. And so I think it's it's intuitive for for people on, on the right to say that right nationalism is it's the opposite to that. Right. And at a certain level, existentially, it just kind of is, right? I mean, like like we're not gonna like I mean, you know, we can be in communication with people from other countries, especially now with technology. You know, I mean, I just did an interview with uh, um, some socialists out of uh, Germany and, uh, and uh, Italy. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to Germany to do a rally. You know what I mean? Like, I got to do a rally here. Now we can we can share ideas and we can be in solidarity. We can share. You know, we can report like, hey, look what's going on in Germany, or hey, look what's going on in the U.S. And and that can be this type of international movement. But it really starts nationally, right? On the ground, grassroots, right? Local communities. Um, so, so this is something I want I want to say. Like, I don't think that they necessarily mean that they don't want immigrants, that they don't want anybody from other countries coming here, but I think that they feel like there has to be some kind of a national or local sort of mechanism for for that for that process. So I think that um, I think that's again, that's not necessarily a racist or a xenophobic thing, but you know, in terms of like a, you know, something that any kind of international movement that, that could happen, it does have to sort of start like locally, right? And so, like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to give people on the, on the left a, a different way to think about that without being like, like, and then you know. Able to have that conversation without just saying, "Oh, you're internationalist. I'm nationalist. We can't talk." Right? Like maybe there's a way that we're actually both nationalists at a certain level and internationalists at a certain level, right? Like so that's uh, just that's yeah, that's 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 my thought. I think um, part of the problem, right, is is that to to talk this stuff out, you need to be I don't know how to say this. Is it to be to be open and willing to have a discussion? I think because I mean, in order for 
any of this to happen, to sort out, you have to be able to have these discussions. And I think that once people shut down or they don't have these, then how do you move? How do you carry on? How do you move forward? How, what do you do with that? No, how do you? So I, I, I mean, yes, there are um, people who, who as well are afraid of immigrants or who are not or in open borders who stand, but then. But I have noticed that in order for us to get some place, like with me and my friend, Jake Schmidt, who has been on this, when we have had very vehement, heated disagreements, we have somehow somewhere find a way to talk about it, but because we have lent ourselves, we have been in, in we have allowed ourselves to engage. Uh, so maybe there's, just that was something that came to mind. It's there has to be willingness on the other part as well, not like a willingness to change. I don't want to start there because that's what people immediately stop you. I'm not you're not going to change me, but a willingness to talk. And then from that conversation, I do notice that even though people say that don't change, something shifts, something does shift, and then from there they're able to contemplate further and they come at at at, at it at their own about immigration, for example, you no. Know? But it, it, it's not like I'm going here to educate you or to teach you or to, or to change your mind. You, you're wrong or that doesn't work. It's just like, okay, right, I'm not here to convince you. Here's my position and here's why. Or let's talk about why you think that. And then being in that, in that conversation. I was just going to say, you know, in martial arts, and I'm sure you can relate to this, Jake, like, you're there's no one you're more sort of intimate with or there's like a bond that happens right with the people that you spar with the people that you train with and even the people that you fight right um like in some sense right they're there to like win or beat up on you right but there's also like a learning process where like you learn about yourself in that process of sparring right and you grow and I mean, that's how I feel when anybody comes and has a good faith conversation. And sometimes, you know, I mean, there's many things over the past two years where I've, I've talked to people who are not on the left and I've changed my opinion. There's other conversations where, you know, it's actually I've doubled down and I really I'm like, no, that that value. Um, but it's it's strengthened right by those conversations like you need to be challenged. Um, so I think, I mean, I think that's exactly right, Eduardo, that, you know, um, we have to, we have to at least get over this hump of like, not even willing to being, not even being willing to, to, to come to the table and have a good faith discussion. Yeah. And I think that listen, listening is trying to understand the other side is more important than trying to be heard because especially as we've all said several times today, we don't even know what we're trying to say exactly. Like we know what we're trying to say. We know what we, we, we intend to mean, but we don't know if the words we're using and the theories we're using actually equate to what we have in our minds or in our hearts, right? And so like one of the ways you can actually figure out where you're at is just by actually listening to being like, oh, wait, I've thought that, you know, you're left or you're right. So that means we were on up. But, but now that I'm, now that I took the time to really understand what you mean, 
like I realized that I'm not that far away from you, right? And so, um, you know, like I said, it's, you know, iron sharpens on iron, human sharpens on human, but, you know, it also, uh, it doesn't just build those, those bridges, but you actually figure your own stuff out better that way. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think that the, the thing, we've talked about it here on What's Left, times where it's like we're trying to air out a room where it's been really stuffy in the left like and we're trying to like create an open space for us to talk and I do and Jake this is why my you know now we have a friendship but frankly my initial relationship with you was the fact that you seemed well versed in the the, the world of the right like whether you came from there or not you knew about some of these folks like when you told me about Newsmax and you gave me a kind of a clue as to how they might approach things they're going to say something about the union. I know who these folks are. And you were a window into a world where I was like, I, I felt like I needed to know more about that area, libertarian or right, as it relates to the way those politics live for workers who, who claim that, who claim to be conservative or claim to be patriots or claim to be, you know, America first or, you know, whatever. Um, because I I did get a sense that I, I didn't really know and I was going to have to learn. And that was that was happening even before COVID and COVID has forced that even more, my sense that I I have to find out what these people are really are about. So listen, it starts first with listening. I do agree with that. The other thing though I think is important is to be able to say we don't agree. Meaning I do think there's a tendency because people want to get along. People want and to, and we've kind of done it here, said, Maybe we're saying the same thing. I'm reluctant to assume that. I would probably first assume, not that we're dis, but to that I don't know, and that it needs it needs time to play out to see. And like Jake, you and I, how many? I mean, there were so many things I disagreed on. What you not disagree? I don't agree that it's a that globe. Well, working class internationalism is the same thing as globalism, and that I don't even believe. I believe that the that the forces that are pushing these things are ultimately enca encapsulated in na in nation states, largely China and the United States. And, and you know and I, we don't agree on that. Um, and that was the whole reason I wanted to find out more about the NWO because that would help me understand how so many people who did really give me information about Great Reset and, and the new normal and things like that, where are they coming from? Oh, that's the framework. Oh, I, I agree with this, but I don't agree with that. You know, like, so, I can, so I can see, and it's like what Jessica's talking about, it has also weakened some of my ideas. There are some ideas I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm not, I used to hold to this. Now I'm not so sure after hearing things that in some ways make some sense over on the other side, you know? And the last thing is for, at least for me, I'll say, and this is why again, Jake and Jessica, I think is people, why I really value the relationship specifically with you two is honesty, a will, a person who are willing to say, I'm doubling down right now because you have definitely not convinced me. So here I'm going to like say, or you know what? I'm not sure. Like I felt I, I thought I was sure, but now after hearing that, I'm not sure. I do feel like Jessica will do that. I do feel like Jake will do that. I hope I do that because if I want that in Jessica and Jake, then I better fucking do that, you know? And if I don't, then I'm just, I don't know what that say about me. But um, that feature comes back to me of like the thing. I, I guess I fundamentally feel like even I, before I sometimes wonder if what we're building even before political networks are trust networks, human trust networks, 
out of which politics can be communicated. And then we can discuss and learn. Because I do believe fundamentally, if the working class is going to learn how to think collectively for itself, and while individuals are be able to express themselves within that, the air is going to have to be opened up. There's going to be a have to be a wild west show of people discussing and sharing and exchanging ideas. And the thing that has come into the left of cancel culture, identity politics, don't be racist, don't be transphobic, don't be, you know, that has, I mean, of course, we want to end those things. But are we going to really think that we're going to do this by like shutting people down and telling them to shut the fuck up? You know, it's not going to happen that way. And it's not even, I don't know, that I'm probably going far afield. It's just, I'll leave it at that. I mean, I think that there are important things you're raising there. I think that there is, there's going to be, like you said, these trust networks. I think, I remember, like I was just going to, I was sharing earlier that before my connection is just an occupier. I remember we had these general assemblies where people would have to discuss like, where does recycling, where we're going to agree where recycling is going to be, you know, but having those discussions, there was a lot of ego involved. I remember people would feel like, well, who's being in power? Why are you in power? Why are you in leadership? There was a lot of that going on that I didn't feel that we were moving forward because people were not willing to be vulnerable, not willing to, you know, so there is going to be some trust networks and we'd spend the whole day in Occupy. And then by the time some of the people who were leaving their jobs to come join us, they'd be like, you're still talking about this, you know? So it's, it's a bit like, you know, then people would leave because they're not going to drive from all the way to where in San Francisco, for example, at the Herman Plaza, you know, they're not going to go from their jobs in the mission all the way over and then join the Occupy and then be like, you're still discussing these things. And I'd like to see movement or organ. And I think that was part of the problem with Occupy. So sometimes it was this disagreement we had to, you know, but what I'm saying by that is where I'm listening, I'm hearing from you is this, yeah, there's going to be that trust. There's going to be that relationship that we're going to have to build. Trust networks also gets me to mutual aid networks, which is, I mean, that's something I brought up the other day with my little group because people are starting to be fired. And it's like, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, we all need a political coalition to tear down (laughs) the new world order or whatever you want to call it. But really, like, also, I just need somebody I can call if shit heads the van, right? And I can say, (laughs) I'm going to get in my car and, and drive over and you know, and I think, yeah, the more people, especially that are are being terminated from their jobs, especially this fall, because it's, I mean, these October mandate dates, they're, they're coming up quick. And I know like we've had people in our, in our group um, who they, they don't know what they're going to do. And so I think that's, maybe that's like the next step from just building the relationships is building mutual aid networks, whether it's like food, you know, money, like in similar ways, like I know, um, teachers for choice, right. Like they're doing kind of a, like a union model, you know, for people outside the union now, but for like, what, who's going to have our back, right. Like if we literally can't pay our rent or we can't feed our kids. You know, there's in any totalitarian society, like the way that people sort of try to find ways to not be totally ground into the dust is what you know, the term called parallel structures. And like, those can be political or they can be economic, right? And um, so it, it sounds like that's a, a lot of uh, 
of, of what you're talking about there. And, you know, um, you know, I was, in my opinion, I think the left, the left, you know, the socialist type of people are, are really good at parallel political structures, you know, um, I think that, you know, the, the right, they're, they're good at creating little pockets of, you know, uh, e economic parallel structures, ways to, you know, generate, uh, you know, resources. Uh, and I think that both of those, if you can tie both of those together, you know, you can use the, the economic parallel structures to fund the political parallel structures. Um, obviously, you have to get through um, all the ideological stuff in the, in the, in the meantime. Um, I did want to note real quick though. I wasn't saying that uh, <laughs> the global that the, the globalism and work internet is 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 the same as uh, an international workers movement. What I was saying is that um, I think that they that people who talk about I think that globalism is a real problem. You know, with the examples of the world economic forum and things, but I think that right leaning people conflate that with. Any form of international anything. That, that's what I was trying to say if I didn't say it that, that well. Um, but there's one more thing that I want to know. And so you talk about building trust um, and you know, through through like honesty and just like you know, like a genuine, authentic relationship. And when I had the uh, graphical user interface guys on my channel the other day, I gotta upload it again. Um uh, you know, so one from Germany, one from Italy. They had me on their show first, and we kind of had some disagreements about definitions of socialism, capitalism. Then I, then I had them back on to just, you know, kind of turn the tables. And I wanted to get, uh, you know, wanted to hear what they had to say, wanted to know their, their definitions. And uh, one of the things that came up, you know, I just had questions like, so what's the role of the state in this democracy, right? Like, how, what exactly does it do? Like, like how. What does the what is the democratic process? Is it like a popular vote? Is it like are there representatives? Is it just one you know nation state that we all vote like, or is it like you know different jurisdictions, localities? And then I also asked within that right, is there are there like property rights, and are there um, are there natural rights? Are there are there human rights that are not that the state does not give us that the corporations do not give us right or whatever structure is is uh, created? And you know, in my mind, from somebody I guess who you know is, is uh, you know in some ways right of center, um, you know, you hear like a socialist or a communist, therefore a Marxist uh, framework usually. It's materialist, right? Like it's not, it's not idealist. And you know, and if you're talking about natural rights, you're talking about rights that come from outside of the state, right? You're talking about they're, they're you know, um, you know, in the Constitution, you know, or me as a Christian would say, come from God, you know, or the universe, you know, nature or something like that. But it's outside of the state. And therefore, right, it's not, it's not a condition of economic exchange. It's not this utility. It's, it's not an extension of the utility of, you know, uh, production and consumption in some democratic process. Like it comes first and then that, those processes are supposed to uh, defer to those rights. And they actually um, were saying that, you know, that there's in their framework that there, that there do have to be certain natural rights, like there's like human rights, whatever you want to call them, right? Um, that are not, 
that, that are that are bigger than the, than the state. And um, in his in his interpretation, you know, he said they always have to be outside the state because you can codify it. You know, uh, I use the example like we got freedom of speech, right? You know, freedom of speech, and then you know later on you get the Thirteenth Amendment. Corporations are people. You get Citizens United. Money is speech. Now the First Amendment means you know a uh, corporation could spend an unlimited amount of money to uh, run the election. In the meantime, we all can't have an honest conversation on social media, right? So we've still got that thing that that First Amendment in the Bill of Rights, but what he, you know, what he basically said is like that's why it always has to be on outside of it, and you know, so that's like once the institutions get so corrupt where whatever you've written down in the law, you know, the state, the state structure, like that's the only, like you, you literally have to do like what we're doing right now, right? Like you know, we're just trying to uh, uh, communicate like human beings. Building trust based on like you know these these natural these natural principles, right? Like we all have the right to say what we think right now. You know what I mean? Like we have a right to disagree, right? We have a right to you know. Hopefully, we're going to try to understand each other and find a, a kind of common ground. But uh, I think that that is one of the places where I think it's the best place to start with this left unite the left and right because i think that's where you know I, i'm sure there's got to be some you know lefty socialist marxist that you know will, will say oh it's materialist you know you want to do the traditional marxist thing but it's not all of them right i just talked to some people who you know i was i was honestly surprised i was i was happy to hear it because it was a, it was a bridge for me um but i think that i think that's a good place to start not just like hey we got to agree that there's this right but like just just act, you know what I mean? Just act that way, like treat people that way, right? And then, and then from that, those relationships, that trust is built. And then, and then these other, you know, the, the politics, the economics, I think that gets, once it's anchored to that, and there is trust, right? People can be willing to like say, like, yeah, you know what, actually, I think that I, you know, what, the way I thought about it, I, I'm gonna come over to your side a little bit, both, both ways, right? And so, um, it's a big jump for a lot of people, though, I think, the natural rights thing, you know, like going back to being triggered by language all the time. Like I hear a lot like, oh, they've like they've taken away our rights. Right. Which is like the. It's like, no, they haven't taken them away. They're inherent. They're innate. Right. They violated them. Right. If you want to frame it through like whether it's common law or whether it's human rights or natural law, whatever, right? It's same, same basic concept of like, these are innate. I was like, come back. I mean, I'm, I, you know, did animal rights activism for a number of years. And, and with that, like, we always talk about, you know, yeah, I mean, animals have rights. It's just that they're being constantly violated. Um, but I think, yeah, we're, a lot of us are really used to sort of like, this is your lane. Here are your rights, right? These are the ones you get this year. And next year, maybe we'll pass a law and change it. Um, but it's it's a real shift of mindset to sort of just own your humanity, I think. Yeah, and, and you know, that natural rights thing comes with like a lot of right wing type baggage, you know, because it's tied to the Constitution, and you know, and and, and it uh, often invokes God and stuff like that. But you can just look at it existentially. You got a mouth? Can you talk? 
existentially by virtue of being able to talk, you have a right to talk. Can you make a fist? You can make a fist, you know, existentially by virtue of being able to make a fist, you can defend yourself, right? Do you have a mind that people, well, once they get the brain-computer interface, then maybe they can hear, but right? Do you have thoughts that people can't hear? Well, then by nature of being able to keep thoughts yourself, you have the right to privacy, right? I mean, like, it's just, it's just it's the way we are, you know, created, designed, uh, you know, uh, evolved, whatever you want to call it, right? But like the function of being a person, like this is just what it is, right? I mean, anybody that's going to try to, to take that away from you is, uh, is not cool. <laughs> just for full um, disclosure, I would I would be one of those Marxists who's who's a materialist, I think, in the terms of believe, believe, still believing that where, where these rights, if you will, to me, they they come out of the collective struggle for revolution. Like that is that is what will produce those rights. What does that struggle look like? All I can say is collective, and it will be a struggle, and it will require complete dismantling of the current system and a and a and a creation of a new one, like of a new system and one that is in basically run by the majority of people that that's never happened before. I mean, I, that's a label I will affix to that. I'll call it socialism, but the need to, the need to exchange ideas comes not out of the curiosity of the ideas, but the need to make a revolution as we, as we have that exchange, the need to talk is the need to express ideas to other workers so that we can actually figure out how we're going to liberate ourselves because it is, I do believe that ultimately everything is coming out down from will will we survive or are we going to be put into prison or I do see the end is coming out of World War Three or basically um, common root uh, common ruining common ruining of contending classes that is society cannot go on this way and it's going to be made made unlivable through what I think is a is the growing competition between nation states um, so. To avoid that, that's that's for me the, ma the material possibility of avoiding that, and the material necessity of avoiding that really is that that it's that that claims the moral authority. Whatever whatever has to be built to take down the current system and replace it with something that is run collectively by workers, by that's that's what drives it. So that that is what and. Historically, I mean, and, and I think Jessica, you would, I think, more consider yourself an anarchist, right? A little bit more like an anarchist. Historically, socialists have said we do need a, a state for a for a moment, if you will, to have that happen. Whereas anarchists say, well, we 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 need that revolution, but no fucking state because no authority can be can be entrusted with that sort of thing. That's a pretty big difference, even between me and Jessica, right? So th those are things that are are going to have to not happen. Those will be part of the discussion. And the problem, I would one say one thing that I, I don't agree is I don't think the left has been very good about political. I actually think we've been extremely, we've, we've kept ourselves in little silos. We've kept ourselves isolated. And we have been very, we don't, I do not think we're actually, we, in order for the political atmosphere that I think a working class movement will need, I personally believe it's going to have to jettison almost everything the left has done. Um, in the last almost hundred years, um, and 
and and find a new way of associating um, uh, and a new way of being able to relate freely with each other. Um, so that's, I guess I'll say that. I, I guess I have a question for that the I saw in Jessica's questions here is that for thought like should we justify tabling sorts of important issues for now and compromising on them in, in our efforts towards building a coalition? I guess like what do you do when you are in certain circles and things are being you are a socialist, Andy, and then I we were in Sacramento and Kenny and I stayed longer at the rally the last we went we were together and and I saw how much they were bashing or talking about socialists right or there was someone else with a sign talking about how uh well not a sign it was more a conversation I was overhearing about how uh about immigration and I guess what is when, when do you what happens when you meet or when you finally get to a point where you disagree and it's potentially dangerous to the movement, right? Well, yeah. I, for me, I feel like I can because my answer is Jake's going to be on our show again. You know, it's like we're going to ask him to come and talk about spars or talk about the union. He's going to fucking slam NEA, you know, and all his right wing anti-union craziness, you know, um, you know, but but I actually agree with some of the things he's saying, and I might, but we might differ on the framework. And for me, I actually do believe we have to be dedicated to hearing different ideas. And if we aren't, then and the reason we don't associate will would be not me and Jake. I'm not talking about. I'm just saying we and anybody I might not associate is because either I don't trust them or they don't agree with the cause. It's like we were talking about, like if somebody was in the anti-mandate movement, but was like, I want to vaccinate kids, just not adults. I'd be like, I don't know how far we can go with you. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. So um, I don't know. That's, that's what comes to mind for me is like, um, we have a lot more to learn about each other. I mean, I do, I do it every day. Like my partner and I don't agree on a lot of even like the COVID stuff, um, other political issues and God, veganism is the worst for this because it's like, I mean, you fucking eat three times a day. It's like, how many times do you have to have this conversation? Of like, I don't agree. Like you're eating a dead body on your plate and it, and it's, it's like totally contrary to like the work I do and everything I stand for, but I'll still go out to eat with you. Uh, you know, uh, and it's, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's hard. So I'm about to move to a new place, new state, new town. And it's, it's pretty conservative. Like it's a pretty conservative town. And I came back, I visited last week and I came back and <laughs> saying to uh, someone like, Oh God, like they're so fucking friendly. Like these, these Republicans, they're like, they're so nice. And this person was like, yeah, well, they, you know, they're nice, but then, you know, they'll go and vote for like your, you know, your right to abortion to be revoked or whatever. And I mean, it's true in some sense, but I, I just think like if we're, if we're going to have a purity test and you're going to have to agree on every single issue, even, even issues that are, you know, really, really important to me, 
there's just, we're not going to have, we're certainly not going to have a movement. Um, and we're certainly not going to get what we want or, you know, tear down the system. As you said, Andy, we're not even going to have a chance to try to kind of build the kind of world that we want. A phrase that's used, that's, that was used at the rally, that's used at, you know, uh, our, our little group, the, you know, the uh, workers and teachers for choice. Then you got my Michael Kenny's teachers for choice, right? This idea of choice, um, which, you know, is, it's freedom, it's liberty, which, you know, which is uh, an extension of, you know, what I was trying to get at also with the whole, you know, natural rights uh, idea. Um, you know, and I know this is more about, you know, where to, where to agree or, or where to, um, the, the space in which you can agree to disagree, yeah. right? And that is like, Okay, we're not lining up here. You're not forcing it on me. I'm not forcing it on you, right? Like we even said, right? We're trying. We're trying to organize with people that got the vaccine. You know what I mean? It's not like if you want, good, <laughs> go ahead. You can get it. Just don't make me get it, right? Like, um, so is 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 I think as long as you know. People are not trying to force you, like, if there's a specific issue that we agree on, and as long as that issue is something that we that it has to be dealt with, um, and no one's forcing you to, to approach it their way, and they're not, or forcing you to not approach it or to take it, I think that that's, that, that is an, that's an alliance that is, that is viable and should, and should be pursued. Um, but I also, you know, was gonna, I wanted to, I don't know if I articulated it that well yet, but I have a question, which is like, let's say we're at the end of this journey here, right? And, um, you know, uh, all the oligarchs have been, uh, you know, put in their proper uh, jail cells. <laughs> you know. um, and, and let's say that after that, whatever, however that happens after that, we're still all... You know what I mean? We still all have our, our different idiosyncratic ideas, you know, the, you know, vegan and Christian and materialist and, you know, uh, national, you know, is there a way to organize that society without, within that space that I just identified, which is, you know, live and let live. Like I, you know, I mean, that's a totally a question, like, you know, and, and I think the answer to that also tells, tells us, uh, you know, what, you know, you said what 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 should be tabled and what shouldn't, right? Uh, but I mean, in the meantime, you know, I don't I don't know. That, like, as like I said, as long as as long as no one's forcing you to go in a direction that uh, you know that, that your uh, that your heart is not aligned with, um, I think that's I think that's a uh, that's something that should be uh, cultivated. I mean, I think the answer to that question for me is like. I don't know. I don't know if we can build something from that set of people, that environment, but I sure as fuck would like to try, you know? Mm -hmm. Maybe um, what comes up for me in listening as well, and also having thought about this as well, is just there is an exploration. You know? I think it's going to depend on what community or for what time, or maybe I, I remember when I was also 
campaigning for certain candidates. There was this bondship that I formed with other people that were were uh, wanting certain candidates here in San Francisco to get voted in. And we're still in contact with each other through Facebook, but our time there was what it served. Sometimes that happens. And I do find that that, that bondship is still, if we were to meet, I'm sure we'd fall right into it. But we are separate now in some ways. I don't, I think that that has helped somehow that friendship that we formed has helped them not to defriend me with the things that I say on my own social media accounts. But they know where I come from. Like they know I'm not a Trump supporter. They know I'm not this. They know who I am as a person. And it's difficult to see that when you're in the social media sphere, you know? And uh, so I guess I'm, I don't know where I'm taking this, but the thing is it depends on what the issue is and where your community is. There are also, I think the other thing to it is there's going to be a real discussion about, and there has to be a willingness to be engaged. There's going to have a real discussion about what it means to be in the fight. For example, a lot of Latino, the Latino community doesn't always see themselves as involved for the Black Lives Matter movement. What does that mean? But when I have conversations with people, it's not about Black Lives Matter. This might be controversial. It's about the state and the enforcement of cops. It's what we have also experienced in our countries where we have also been brutalized by the police and there has been corruption. And framing it around that, it's instant click. We have experienced detention centers. We've experienced law enforcement. We've experienced La Migra. We've experienced ICE. We know what that means. Of course, you're going to abolish or you're going to look for alternatives, especially when you have a country like Mexico where you, don't, where you already abolished the police in certain communities. So the conversation isn't so much about Black Lives Matter. It's about us as workers, we can dictate how we want to organize ourselves in a community instead of having the state decide for us by enforcing it with their law enforcement. No? So I think there's going to be a willingness to have those discussions. I'm not so sure sometimes though, in as you were saying, Andy, in the left, this talk and the discussion sometimes are not, they're too narrow. They don't allow for more. And this is why I think the right Again, these just for conventional use. I think they're more willing to have these discussions and be more united because they allow for certain conversations without canceling one another. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been surprised the the degree to which um, leftists or progressives have embraced just straight up authoritarianism, um, and then we're just in the beginning. Like, and they don't, they seem, they seem no, I see no let up. I see no sort of, wait, wait, what's happening? Questioning. I, I see double down and doubling down and like, you know, getting, so that, that has been part of this. Um, so I, from, that's where I came from. Right. So I, you know, uh, I can try to act like I'm not, but I was a left. I mean, I was part of the left that we did what's left out of the basis of what the hell's happened to the left. Cause that's where I was. So I came out of that and I feel like there's way more questions about that tradition right now for me. I still will say, I do believe we need a revolution. I do believe it, that revolution cannot happen without a collective struggle. But Jake's question, that I, the way I heard that Jake's question of can that collective struggle also and, and, and somehow put into it individual expression, like keep and, and, and actually not, not turn it into a homogeneous kind of thing and, does it actually allow for heterogeneity and, and actually pro promote it? Um, in my mind's eye, it does, but what, what that would look like? No. And if it, 
I feel like it kind of has to, but I don't know how it does it. I would, I think I would say more of Jessica's answer. I don't know. Um, but that is what I hope can happen. I'm, I'm hoping the riddle of collectivism and individuality can be solved and it, they both can be given, um, they can both come into fruition simultaneously somehow. But I don't, I don't know how that would happen. I want to use this, and I told you this story, Andy. This is a good story. And I think, Jessica, you might have even uh, been to one of these seminars, the Adjar and Chai seminar. I think you said you're TBA, Thai Boxing Association, uh, International Thai Boxing Association. Well, so Adjar, uh, Sir Chai, Sir Suit, um, he was very good friends, uh, is very good friends with um, Dan Insano. Dan Insano was... Um, he took on Bruce Lee's Jeet uh, Kune Do system. He does seminars. I've been to seminars at both of them. And there's, you know, they tell stories about each other and they're, they're fun stories. And, and one of the stories is, um, so in, uh, in, in the, I got a stick right here too. In the Philippines, <laughs> right? I got a Kali stick here. Um, just the one I broke now, it's still good. Uh, right? And then in, in uh, so the Scream of Kali, Arnis, depending on which uh, uh, island you're on, it's pretty much the same system, okay? And there's a there's a roof block, right? You block overhead like this. And um, in the Thai, the actual Muay Thai kickboxing comes out of some called Krippi Krabong, right? And it's it's swords, right? And it's and they also have right similar right a, a roof block and right they have similar blocks. And the, and the story is uh, you know uh, Chai and and Danny are are training together and um, you know uh, Chai is showing Danny some Krippi. You know, it's it's different because it's it's heavier and things like that. So there's things you can't you can do in the one that doesn't necessarily always apply. But he's doing, I believe it was the roof block, and he's doing he's doing. Let's we'll go with roof block. He's going with the roof block, and he says, in uh, uh, Kirby and and uh, Danny says, oh, well that's we've got that in top, uh, we got that in in the Philippines too. You know, in, in the scrima, we we call it you know whatever. And uh, Dan and Chai's like, no, it's Thai. <laughs> he's like, Danny's like, no, no, no. He's like, no, it's Thai. Like, he's like, okay, it's Thai. You know, and it's a funny story. But I always use that as a when when somebody takes a stick and they go to hit you upside the head, right? You don't call it anything. You just put the stick up there. You know, is it Krabi? Is it Kali? You know, it's it's both and neither, right? And so, like, this is what you know when you're saying. We don't know what it's called or what it looks like, but we'll know when we block the stick. You know what I mean? And so, uh, in the meantime, the dialogue, uh, the, the, you know, like this is the way to get there. You know, and that's and that's all. That's all I could I could tell you. About, you know. It's a good story to end on. I like it. <laughs> Well, that does it for this week's episode. Jessica teaches English literature, writing, and environmental humanities at university level in Washington State. She has been teaching college for eight years and holds a PhD in English. She is a longtime animal rights and environmental activist. And John Kleisik is the author of School World Order, The Technocratic Globalization of Corporatized Education, Trying Day Books. And he is a contributor to New Politics Center for Research on Globalization, Op Ed News, The Interpret Report, and The Dissident Voice. And what's, out. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. And and add it. What was the other Unlimited hangout. That's the that's the that's the main one now. Sorry. Unlimited hangout. Thank you. I have to <laughs> forgive me. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I almost have marbles in my mouth that it's hard to oh, no. say all of it. <laughs> no, it's good. And unlimited hangout. Thank you, Jake. 
Um, so What's Left is a weekly political podcast that's channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes where we found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.com. Uh, you can find past episodes to this podcast that's channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you've heard here, um, please connect with us on either the blog or you can find us on any of the your favorite episodes um, on your favorite um, podcast. Uh, but please uh, share. Are your, are your favorite episodes great reviews subscribe to any of our platforms on spotify itunes podcast Stitcher, google play bitshoot odyssey odyssee youtube or telegram and if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover contact us through our blog <laughs> i'm eduardo marco thank you very much john kleisic and jessica yeah we'll see you all next time yeah thanks you two for being there